0: Welcome to the Southland Podcast, a resource produced by Southland Christian Ministries located in Ringgold, Louisiana. We trust that this podcast will encourage and equip you in your walk with God.
1: All right, you guys all ready? Hope you brought a Bible, hope you brought some notes, and uh, we're going to be talking together again this morning about advancing our marriages in every stage of life, and uh, days like today separate Southerners from uh, Yankees. Did you notice that? And the difference is how they dress. When it's cold out there, Southerners bundle up, and uh, on a day like today, the Yankees are like, man, it's warm. And uh, so we we noticed that a little bit today, but uh, God bless you guys, it's been a good morning, and... Uh, Gonna be a lovely day, a beautiful day. My brain's going so many different directions this morning. Been uh, thinking a little bit my son with all that he's got going on as far as his illness and new technicians and doctors and and diagnoses and if what they're diagnosing him is pretty serious. If 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 what they're saying it is, it's fairly serious. There's no cure, and uh, it's actually uh, would shorten his life to ten to twenty years. And so it's pretty heavy for him right now. And of course the last doctor that looked at it said it seems to be you would think with our technology and modern medicine we could get a definite but uh, so that's up in the air and and i had a, a really good friend this morning pass away he's elderly but i've preached a revival in his church every year for 12 straight years now and uh, just uh, brother adderholt just a godly wonderful amazing man he passed away early this morning and i got another friend who's uh, doing a funeral today for his uh, Wife's grandma who lived with them many years. Her husband was a preacher friend of mine. Just My, my brain's going all over the place today. But uh, we need to be here this morning. I'm sure glad that your ladies get to hear my wife. Bethany Joy is just an amazing lady. And I'm so thankful God put her in my life. Uh, we, lived, we lived 16 years in an RV, full-time, with five kids. And uh, Bethany Joy made that happen. And uh, well, we chose together the verse, serve the Lord with gladness. And, uh, and she always did. And I just I'm um, just so thankful for Bethlehem Joy. And she educated our children all the way through, four of them all the way through K-4 through 12th grade so far. And our last one's in the eighth grade, four years to go. And uh, uh, she's always wanted a, a Mustang convertible. That's what my wife's always wanted. And so uh, I, my plan is, my plan is. Of course, uh, the economy could destroy all of this the way our country's going. But my plan is, when she's done with the last homeschooler, I'm going to buy her a Mustang convertible and give her an honorary doctorate. I mean, don't you think? (laughs) I mean, those don't mean anything anyway. So if I can give her one, and uh, I have one, that's why I know they don't mean anything. Um, I always said anybody can earn a doctorate, and you got to work really hard to get one given to you. Just, (laughs) just, just so you know, Uh, you want to be finding the book of Genesis. That's where we're going to start this morning. And if you can't find Genesis, locate Obadiah and go to the left. And uh, eventually you'll find the book of Genesis. All right. Genesis chapter one. This is going to be a long section, isn't it? Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. And uh, let me switch gears here and uh, get to the right one as well. I just realized I've got the wrong outline here on my screen. (laughs) <laughs> he actually may be. <laughs> you do I want to hear your questions. <laughs> I mean, okay, Yuck, tell me your question while I'm looking this up. We can and I will here in just one moment. Are you in need of prayer? Oh,
0: every
1: day. That's what your wife said too.
0: My pastor, my pastor says that too. <laughs> I love
1: your Let's do pray. All right. Dear Father, thank you so much for uh, your goodness in our lives, for your love, your mercy, your grace. And thank you, dear Lord, that you, are, that you are good. Let's Thank you for that, and that you are love. And Lord, you know our needs today. Uh, many of us in this room are doing well, but we, we still need to grow in grace and grow in mercy and grow in sanctification. And so give us wisdom, give us discernment, and uh, just really help us, Lord, to see your hand at work in our hearts and lives today. And uh, we love you so much. And pray these things, dear Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to talk this morning about advancing your marriage in every stage of life. And last night we talked about this time factor from 1 Peter chapter 3. And today I want to talk to you, men about uh, mastering together alone. And uh, we're trying to be alliterated there. Did you all notice that? So, um, uh, this was what my wife and I came up with Together alone is kind of a wink wink because we're going to talk a little bit about our bedroom. and uh, and 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 this is an important session. And the reason it's an important session is because we are living in an ungodly, uh, unchristian, unbiblical, unwise generation. and And all of that combined together is a recipe for disaster. And uh, we've been now over the last thirty years in about two thousand different churches. And one of the things I've, I've, I've noticed is that sometimes in our churches, our thinking is not much different than the world. And uh, that's a dangerous place for Christianity to be because the Bible teaches us very clearly that the way we become what we ought to be as believers is we put off the old man and the Bible says he's corrupt according to the deceitful lust, according to wrong thinking, according to the wrong lifestyle, he's corrupt. And the Bible says we're to put on a new man, and that new man is created by God. God creates us into a new man, and he tells us that the way to do that, between Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, he says we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. So one of the most important things that we do as men is think correctly. We have to think biblically. And when we as a generation in the church are thinking incorrectly, we're in trouble. Because when your thoughts are wrong, your marriage will be wrong. When your thinking is wrong, your parenting will be wrong. When your thinking is wrong, your purity will be wrong. So I challenge you men today to put your thinking cap on this morning spiritually and and ask the Spirit of God to help you to think biblically. And what we want to do is we want to start this morning by reminding ourselves that we either become a master or a disaster. We either master this area of our life. I'm talking about the bedroom, or it becomes a disaster in our thinking. And 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 because the world is so confused, it is essential that we have a biblical view of sex. And and don't be don't be uncomfortable with this word, okay? Yes, sir? Just an example of about the church making like the world. I was just a pastor who's floored the other day. Got a young lady in my church, she's got no face. She's shacked up. It's kinda like the description, you know. and the guy you're living with now, you're not your husband. Sure. Right. The law in do like that. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So that yeah. Here's a here's a godly lady in the church who's absolutely thinking is unbiblical. Yeah. And uh, boy, we see that all the time. That's 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 very normal. That is a very normal illustration in the church. So we do have to have a biblical worldview. and 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 really, uh, just to give you an illustration from my own life, my wife and I uh, did a a couples what do you call that premarital counseling a couple of years ago, and in premarital counseling we normally do three sessions. There you know there could be a, a ton more that we ought to do. We do three. We take one session to talk about roles and responsibilities. And and when you get married and say, I do, here's your responsibility as a husband. This is your God-given responsibility. And we say to the wife, this is going to be his responsibility. And you have to accept that. We say to the wife, this is going to be your responsibility. You have to master it. And sir, you have to accept her responsibility. And then we do one session in which we talk about communication. That's the one we'll talk about tomorrow a little bit. Because one of the greatest gifts God gave to me and you is the gift to talk. Uh, It's a phenomenal gift. One of the things that separates us from the animal kingdom, if you will, is that we can communicate on a level that is heartfelt, that is deeper than any other communication in the universe. And so we deal with that one. The third one, we talk about the bedroom. And we talk about a biblical view of the bedroom, and then we separate the two. Bethley goes with the lady, I go with the guy. And we get a little more personal as far as a little more detailed, a little examination, you know, what's in your background, because depending on how a person was raised or uh, whether or not they've been addicted to pornography, or the list can go on, uh, helps me to discern how to help them to prepare for their bedroom or their honeymoon or whatever. And I, I was out with one of the most brilliant young men I've ever met in the world, homeschool kid. Uh, graduated from homeschool when he was like 14. He's in his early 20s. He's already a doctor. Uh, I mean, he just breezed through medical school. The kid is the most brilliant. Uh, comes from the most amazing homes. Uh, it just, just everything you thought. This kid is. This kid is. In, in, you know, just, just impressive. And so we start talking about the bedroom, and, uh, and and it was pretty, you know, normal during our together time. But then when I take him out and I start getting more. Specific with him, I noticed he was uncomfortable, which is not abnormal. That is always an uncomfortable. I mean, it's just a little uncomfortable that I even have this word on the screen, and so I get the uncomfortable part. But he and I start talking, and and he got so uncomfortable. I finally I just stopped and I said, uh, "Now, now you are very obviously very uncomfortable. So what's up? I mean, you're getting married in two weeks, and 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 the, and you're super uncomfortable about this part of of coming marriage." And this is what this young man said to me. One of the most brilliant kids I've ever met. This kid says, um, "I, I, I thought we wouldn't do something like that for three or four years after we were married." And and you know, I'm like, "April Fools?" I mean, is this? Is, is this what, what's going on here, son? And 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 and, but no, no fool. He's serious. So where'd you get that, son? He said, "Well, I thought, I thought that that." sex was evolutionary, and that it was something you did occasionally because you wanted to have children, but I thought that was an evolutionary process. Now, now I got to tell you, this kid was raised in, if you want to identify, you know, we use identifiers, King James only fundamental independent Bible living Baptist church. You got the picture in your mind of the kind of church he was raised in? And yet he has no clue what the Bible says about this subject. But he's not alone, because our world is so confused, uh, our view often is skewed. So let's just find a biblical view, and then we'll apply it, okay? Is that fair enough? So let's start in Genesis 1 here. And uh, in fact, I've got a whole list of chapters and verses, all right? Genesis chapter 1, and uh, let's start down here in verse 27. Genesis 1, verse 27 So God created man in his own image, In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. There's all kinds of things he wants you to know in that verse. Male and female are different. Uh, Male and female are created by God. Male and female are equal in the creative act. Uh, You're okay with that, aren't you? Uh, God designed us equal. Even in 1 Peter chapter 3, he reminds us that there's an equality. I didn't get to it last night because he says we are heirs. He closes verses 1 through 7 that we looked at last night. We're heirs together of the grace of life. Uh, there's, there's some sense, guys, in which your wife is on equal footing to you. She's saved the same way you are. She's created by the same God you're created by. Uh, she's on equal footing with you. She has gifts and talents and abilities but in the marriage there is differences designed by God and put in place by God to make a marriage work and uh, sometimes we get this this you know this uncomfortableness about egalitarianism versus complementarianism and and the egalitarians are very upset they think you know there's no difference between men and women and 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 all. they get so upset but one of the verses will help you to think it through if you've never if you struggle in that area, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3 is the passage where the Bible says, know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is the man, and then it gets weird, and the head of Christ is God. Now, now, I'll just chew on that a moment. He gives us an illustration here, and he says, the head of every man is Christ, the head of every woman is the man, oh, and by the way, the head of Christ is God. Now, I've got I to tell you, I, I struggled with that. Wait, 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 wait. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. Are, are you with me on that? So here's what he's trying to tell you. It's not, a, it's not an equality in position. It's not an equality in person. It's equality in function. Or it's, it's a difference in function. It's about a difference in function there. When Jesus came to this earth, he voluntarily submitted himself to God the Father inside the Trinity. Don't try to think that too through far. It'll blow your brains. Uh, but it is biblical theology. And you're talking about a God and God is so big that human understanding cannot fully wrap its mind around who God really is and how all that works. But in the same way that Jesus limited himself, what the Bible says is that husbands, you're to take authority in your home and, 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 and wives, you're to submit to your husband. You, you follow that thinking there? But here in this text, he wants you to know that God made us both at the same time, male and female, the same day. Made them both. God's, God's God had a design here that we would be equal in that regard in his creation. And then in verse 28, after he made them, notice the point of verse 27 is, is marriage. And here's why we know the point is marriage in verse 27. When he says male and female created he them, the reason we know he's talking about marriage there is because in verse 28, God blessed Adam and Eve, blessed them, and said unto them, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it. And have dominion notice can i just say this we're just men can i just say this the first command god gives to the man and woman can i can i can i make it practical is to make love first command be fruitful and multiply make love the second command by the way i just think this is this is hilarious the second command is to eat giving you every herb bearing seed and And at the end of the verse 29, he says, It shall be to you for meat, for food. That word meat is food in the Hebrew. Uh, In other words, God gives them two commands in, in his creative act in chapter one of Genesis. The first book of the Bible, he made a male and a female. He made a male and a female. He said, Make love and eat. Now, we have this rule, if you go to college and you study hermeneutics, we have this rule that there's this thing called the law of first mention, gives a priority to it. So you could say, biblically speaking, that uh, sexuality is more important than food. That'll preach, won't it? I mean, come on, just, that'll, that'll preach right there. But it is, it is biblical. It's biblical. I'm telling you, it's biblical. And, um, and notice, notice in the context, God saw everything, verse 31, that he had made, and it was good. It was very good. By the way, this is the first time he said it was very good was on the day that he made male and female. He said it was very good. You see, this thought continued in chapter two. We're just developing a biblical understanding of God's view of human sexuality. Chapter two, verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. Now, I just have to stop right there and tell you that just makes me smile because if God puts you to sleep, I guess you would sleep, wouldn't you? And I just love how the Bible just says that so casually. So he slept. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, well, no kidding. God's the one to put him to sleep. Uh, I find humor in weird places. That's just my weird brain. Judges 421. You know that one? Jael, the wife of Heber took a nail. Y'all know that story? Jael took a nail. at rhymes and went softly to Sisera who was hiding in her tent from his enemy. And the Bible says she drove that nail through his temple and fastened his head to the ground. And then the Bible says, so he died. It's like, no kidding. All right, you, you had a question or comment here? So we should we have sex, eat, and then sleep. And that's, that seems to be the point here. <laughs> <it> seems... <laughs> this is going to be quite the session. I can already tell. Um, all right, chapter 2. Chapter 2 now, God put him to sleep. And you know, you know the story. God takes a rib in verse 21, and then God heals him. He closes up the flesh. And in verse 22, the Lord made... Uh, made from the from the rib, the Lord made a woman and brought her unto the man. Look at verse twenty three now. And Adam said, "This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh." Adam was made from the dirt. Eve was made from Adam's bones. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew Bible, this word woman has the idea of she's another me. That's what he's saying here. When he named her woman, he's saying. Uh, Look, there's another me here now. I have another me. Somebody else just like me. Somebody who's mirroring me. Another me, a woman. And look at verses 24 and 25. Verse 24, you know, is one of the most important verses in the Bible about marriage. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. What are you talking about there, Uh, one flesh? What are you talking about? Well, he explains it in the next verse. They were both naked the man and his wife, and we're not ashamed. Now there are, you know, we have this picture in our childhood of the Garden of Eden, and here's a naked man and a naked woman running around clothed because they were innocent. In a technical sense, we don't know that that's the case. In a technical sense, they probably wore clothes in the Garden of Eden. Now we jo- we, we 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 don't know that for sure, But the context here is not saying they were running around the garden naked. The context here is saying they were a man and a wife becoming one flesh, and they were naked. You see the context? Now, I've always joked and said that that cold weather is a result of the fall. I can't prove that theologically. My seminary professors didn't agree with me because they were wrong. Um, (laughs) but i always said you know in the garden of eden they were naked so obviously it was warm yeah you yeah know, with me on that and then then they sinned and then he clothed them in furs i mean it got cold after apparently cuz he put furs on them but but that's that's not really what this is saying at all what this is saying is all god made a man and a woman married them together and said now become one flesh and they became one flesh and just to make sure that we don't miss the point he says they were both naked it's almost like he's saying wink wink you get it I made a man and a woman for this purpose. It's a unique relationship that can be shared with nobody else except a man and a woman who are married. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. That mirrors Hebrews 13:4, which is the last verse there. Do y'all know that one? Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed is undefiled. Means it's not, it's not dirty, it's not soiled. There's no shame in the bed in a marriage. What is wrong outside of marriage, whether it's premarital sexuality or homosexuality or an adulterous relationship, what is wrong outside of marriage is holy, sacred, beautiful, and amazing inside of marriage. And God designed it that way. This part of our life, biologically speaking, is the only part of our life that we can do without and still live. You can't can't do without your heart and live. Your respiratory you know, system and, and, and all of your, your circulatory system, all of those are essential to life, but the reproductive system is not. God added that one as, as a gift. It's not essential, which is why a man who is single can still live his life normally and serve the Lord and be satisfied and happy and complete. Because this is one part of our lives that we don't have to have to live. It's a beautiful part of our lives. And you remember, Paul addresses it in 1 Corinthians 7. remember when he said, look, uh, it's probably good right now that you don't get married because this is a tough time of persecution and it's hard having a wife. And and, and you just probably shouldn't get married right now. But he said, look, if you can't contain yourself, marry. It's better to marry than to burn. In other words, it's a strong desire, but it's not essential to life. But if you need it, then get married because in marriage, you can do it. You see what he's trying to say? This is all over the Bible, this thinking. I'm just trying to help you have a biblical view of human sexuality. Uh, So uh, how about Proverbs 5, 18 and 19? This is, uh, this is one of my favorite. Everybody ought to memorize this one and, and put it on the wall of your bedroom. Um, It's a good, good, you know, wall plaque verse that I've never been able to find. Um, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 is, uh, this is great. We used to read through Proverbs frequently in our family devotions. And when my kids got to this verse, whoever was reading the next two verses always would be like, do I have to? And we're like, no, you get to. These are great verses. This is the word of God. Proverbs five eighteen and 19, Solomon says to his son, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice. Say the word rejoice. rejoice. With the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving, hind, and pleasant role. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. Say the word Satisfy. Yes and be thou ravished always with her love. Say the word ravished. Ravished. Three words he gives us in this passage to show us about marriage. Rejoice, satisfy, ravished. They're awesome words. In other words, if you're married, you ought to rejoice in being married. The context, by the way, is purity versus impurity. And uh, really, Matthew Henry says it beautifully. Matthew Henry said that what Solomon is telling his son is, look, son, you can go to the contaminated, dirty puddle water of the world to get your drink. That would have been a huge statement in that day. We're so comfortable with septic systems and clean sewage. Doesn't even seem right, does it? To say the word clean in front of that word. But we're so comfortable with that that we miss how strong this picture would have been in Solomon's day. When I go to Haiti to preach, uh, in, in Haiti, one of the churches I preached in had a, uh, a men's room. And, uh, and, and it was a square, probably 10 by 10. And, and you walked into this, this, this square and the, there were walls that came up to here on you. And, and, and the men had to go to the bathroom. We're going to, they are they'd line up around the wall and you would go to the bathroom against the wall. It would run down the wall into a little trough and out down the street. And, and the weird thing was that the street was right there and people were walking up and down the street while you're going behind the wall. That's a little weird. A little little uncomfortable. And and especially if people talk to you, how you doing? (laughs) Leave me alone. (laughs) I'm doing fine, thank you, but this is not the time for a conversation. (laughs) And yet there goes, there goes there goes the urine down the street. You know the odors? Yeah. Can you sense that odors? Matthew Henry is saying, Go out there and get your drink. You can go out there and take a drink of that if you need if if you're thirsty. Or he says to his son. You can do it God's way. He's talking about purity. He's talking about sexuality. You can go to the dirty, contaminated puddle water of the world to find satisfaction. Or you can live a pure and clean life and enjoy that part in a holy, sacred marriage, a covenant relationship for one life. Sexuality, what the Bible's trying to teach us, sex is so amazing that it's to be enjoyed with one person for one life. That's God's plan. That's what he's trying to show us here. So he says, you ought to rejoice in your marriage. Let's just stop with right there. Let me ask you a question. Are you men happily married? I mean, are you rejoicing with your wife? Or are you like, this is my sweetheart. This is my babe. This is, this is my beautiful. This is, this is Are you happily married? Are you one of those guys who are like, oh my word, the old woman I married? <laughs> and and, and <laughs> uh, is there rejoicing? I mean, do you have her picture on your desk? You that are desk men, do you have a picture on her desk of you and your wife? When a lady comes into your office, you ever turn that picture around and say, this is my sweetheart. On my desk, I have a picture of us making out. You come into my office, I'll show it to you. It's this woman right here I'm lip locked with. This is my love. I got that picture on my phone. I'm sitting next to a lady on an airplane. I'll introduce her to my wife. This is my wife. You married? This is my wife. The love of my life right here. My dream come true. Are you, are you, I mean, are, are, honestly, are you rejoicing in your marriage? Are you just happily married? Are you like, well, that's my wife. My son, my, my wife came to me one day. Your wife, this? she said, your son, that's a never good way to never, never a good way to start a conversation, right? Your son. And she told me something. And, and I met with my son. He was 14 at the time. He was becoming a man, three hairs on his chest. He knew he was becoming a man. And so I said, son, your mom said, you've been a little disrespectful to her. Is that True. This is an awkward conversation for him. Is that true? He said, yes, sir. I guess I have been. I said, well, that's going to change, isn't it? Because you're, you're, you're talking about my wife there, son. Yeah, I know she's your mom. She's my wife. Yep, good, yep. You don't want me to have to knock you into the middle of next week right. yep. because you were disrespectful to my wife. You okay, now why did I do it that way? Well, because he is becoming a man. And it's time for him to understand that, that a, a woman is to be honored and preferred and treated well. And especially if she's your wife, and especially if she's your mom, you're to rejoice in being married. That's all I'm trying to say here. And you ought to be satisfied in it. Are you aware of the fact you can find satisfaction in porn? You can, you can find satisfaction in adultery. I, I I don't like saying this word, but you can find satisfaction in masturbation. You can find satisfaction in in, in all kinds of places. But what Solomon says is, uh, son, I want you to be so enthralled with your wife that all of your satisfaction in this area of your life is based on her. Yeah. You, you see what the Bible, I don't mean this to be awkward. I'm just telling you, this is a biblical view. And then the Bible says this, and he says, and son, while you're at it, be ravished. I love that word. That is an awesome word. And it means nothing to most of us because we just say it like you just said it a moment ago and you didn't even react. So you just say it again. Just say it. See, it did mean a thing to you because you didn't say it right. How many of you are Baptists? Anybody here Baptists? Any Baptists in the room? Are you all Baptists? Anybody here not a Baptist? Because Baptists are unique people because they don't feel anything. And, uh, you know, our Pentecostal friends, they feel all stuff all over the place, you know? But uh, Baptists don't feel nothing. But I want you to, I want you a Baptist to wake up this morning and feel something, all right? What I want you to do is I want you to reach way down in your soul, and I want you to feel that word. If you can roll your R, roll it. And, and at the very really, least, he's getting it, right? There we go. This, this word means this. This word is like ravished. <laughs> That's this word. Now, you, are you, can you try it? Nobody here but us. Now, let's just practice so you can say to your wife this afternoon, I am ravished. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right, but, but try the word. Okay, say, say the word normal. Just notice, say the word normal. Say it normal. Now, 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 feel it. All right, you ready? One, two, three, feel it. Go ahead. Nobody here but us. Just all of you feel it. See, doesn't that change everything? You know what this word literally means? It means to be intoxicated. It means I am so in love with you that I'm plum drunk. That's what it means. It doesn't mean this. If I was married to her, I'd drink too. That's that's, that's not what it means. I really shouldn't even joke that way, but I've met a few women. I'm telling you, I'd think about it. I'm even against drinking, but I'd think about it. Uh, my mom and dad's pastor said one day I was in their church on a Sunday morning. And and I don't even know why he said this, but he did. It was Sunday morning. He's preaching on the platform way over here at the side. And it's kind of a camp meeting church. And he was all over the place when he preached. And he's standing over here on the side. And he said, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, he said, I was out soul winning yesterday. And I met this woman. If I was married to her, I'd have committed suicide last night. And I was like, that is wrong. That is wrong. So this is a nicer way of saying it. And it, I, I, I drink probably. But, 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 but here's, here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying you ought to be so madly in love, so satisfied, so mastering this part of your life that you're intoxicated. Isn't that incredible? You get the idea that God celebrates this side of our life, don't you? You all with me on that? All right, a couple other passages. Song of Solomon. You really ought to read it. Go to chapter four, and let me tell you why chapter four is unique in the Song of Solomon. Uh, David Jeremiah and other men like David Jeremiah who take these things apart verse by verse and, and, and do more detailed studies, many men like Dr. David Jeremiah would believe that chapter four in the picture here is the honeymoon night. Here's a couple that have been falling in love, and boy, they've been working it up. They've been telling each other how beautiful they are and how handsome they are and how amazing they are. You'll find in the first three chapters that this thing shows up often where it says, don't awake my love. Don't awake my love. Not ready for that yet. And yet they're like, you have dove's eyes and you're so beautiful and you're so amazing and you're such a stallion, but don't, don't wake up yet. Don't wake up yet. And, and, and you get to chapter four and it's about to change because in chapter four, he's going to say, awake. So chapter 4, many believe, is the culmination of this relationship. It's their honeymoon night. And and boy, do they turn it on. Look at verse 1, chapter 4. Behold, thou art fair. By the way, he's the one talking here. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Mount Gilead. That's just a beautiful statement, isn't it? (laughs) Baby doll, your hair reminds me of a flock of goats. (laughs) That's... Well, he is really turning it on, wasn't he? Uh, By the way, it's a beautiful image because in the valleys where they would have lived, they would have taken thousands of longer haired goats. In the Middle East, the goats have longer hair. They would have taken thousands of goats up in the mountainsides all around, and they'd feed up in the mountainsides. During the day, the shepherds would be all around. You could see those goats all over the mountainsides. And as the sun would begin to set, the shepherds began bringing those thousands of goats back down to the valley to the individual corrals. And, and history tells us that in that time of the day when all the goats, one goat would start coming down the mountain and all of them, it was their signal. They'd realize, oh, it's time to go home. Time to go to the corral. Thousands of goats would start coming down the mountain at a run. And they're coming down these valleys. There's no trees on those valleys. If you've been out west, think of it like you'd see a mountain out west where they're barren. And here comes all these goats, thousands of them running down these, these mountains, these long-haired goats. And it looks like the entire side of the mountain is waving. Solomon's turning it on. He's like, you know when we all stop every afternoon as the sun's setting and we all watch in awe as those mountains move with the goats running down to their corral? Baby doll, when I see that, I think of you. This guy's turning it on. I mean, this guy's good. This guy's good. And then he says in the second verse, your teeth are like a flock of sheep that are even shorn, which came up from the washing whereof every one bare twins, and none is barren among them. You know what he says in verse two? Baby doll, you have a whole set of teeth. <laughs> That's literally, he says, they're twins. Uh, obviously, she wasn't from West Virginia. And, uh, oh, that was wrong. That was wrong. It was too early for that. <clears throat> I used to say Alabama, but now my son is a pastor there, so I can't do that. Yeah. Number three, thy lips, verse three, thy lips are like a thread of scarlet. Her lips are red. And notice, notice there's something else he loves about her. Her speech is comely. You ever met a beautiful lady, and, and she opened her mouth? And you're like... You ever, you ever ever saw a lady and she was a pretty lady, but she cussed like a sailor and you were like, Oh my soul. He said, your speech is comely. I just love to hear you talk. He talks about her temples, a piece of pomegranate. Verse four, thy neck is like the tower of David builded for an armory. Where on there. Hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. She had quite the neck, didn't she? Um, Thy two breasts are like two young roses that are twins, which feed among the lilies. Notice a change here in verse six. Until the daybreak, the shadows flee away. I will get me to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense, because thou art fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Did you catch what he did there? Yeah. Starts describing his honeymoon night. Your hair's amazing. Your temples are incredible. Your eyes are beautiful. Your cheeks are, whoo. Your lips are red. Your teeth are white. Your neck's just incredible. Your breasts are phenomenal. And then it just kind of fades out. What's he doing here? He's describing something so sacred that you can only go so far and be holy. Unless it's the two of you together. And then we would say in our culture, you can go all the way. But the reason he stops where he stopped is because there's only so far you can go in this picture without it becoming inappropriate and, 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 and ungodly, right. Right? right? It's a beautiful thing here. I'm just simply saying to you, brothers, in a world that is so messed up like ours, we have to think biblically. Don't let, the, don't let Hollywood entertainment make you think, in the words of our brother here, that somebody shacking up is where all the romance is found. Don't you let Hollywood, don't you let Hollywood teach your children that, that dating is where you find romance. And don't you let the church teach your children that.
0: Amen.
1: Don't you glor, don't you glorify that. Don't you, don't you, don't you glorify the dating fun little, cutesy little things that teenagers do in this modern world of ours and call that romance? Don't you do that. Don't you do that? This is this is this is something you reserve for marriage. You want romance? That's found in an I do, and an I do, and we do. Amen. That's where that's found. That's where you find romance, not an affair. You, 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 you might find a little thrill of excitement in an affair. But there's no romance there. That's straight out of hell sinful, right? right. And, and, and we got to help our kids think that way. I got a pastor friend. I love him to death. I love him up one side and down the other. But he let his son go to the prom the other day and and posted i mean fine let, let him go that's between you and the lord the bible doesn't say thou shaltest not as go as to the promise i get that so i mean can there be a little liberty there there can I'm, I'm gonna i'm just gonna give that to you i didn't go to the prom i was a public school kid and that was almost 30 some years ago but i got saved when i was 15 years old in a public school and and god changed my life and i was the president of the junior class supposed to give the speech the welcoming speech at the junior senior prom and uh, i uh, i went to the sponsor and said you know what. The more I've prayed about it and thought about it, I can't go to the prom. And I, because now I'm a Christian, I can't go. That's not, it's not, I didn't get that from the Bible. It was just something personal God was doing in my life. And so I chose not to go. It was me personally. I'm not saying if you went that you were ungodly, I'm just saying I couldn't go and be right with God because God was convicting me about it. And part of it's because there was drinking there and and, and I'd gotten saved and, and there won't be part of that anymore. And then the rock music, you know, all the dancing, and, and we didn't even twerk and all that junk back then, um, but, but the dancing even then was risque, so I, you know, I don't want that in my life anymore. I'm saved now. And the way the girls dress, I was trying to fight in an uncodly world and have a clean heart, and it's hard to have a clean heart when the girls are dressed like they work in a men's nightclub. And so I was just trying to be careful. That was me. But my friend let his son go the other day and posted a picture of his date, and, um, and, 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 and I, I was so saddened for him. Because the pic the the picture was embarrassing. I I hope my sons didn't see it. Because the way that girl was dressed, and he was okay with his son having his hands all over her. Why 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 are we doing this in the church? This is a King James Only Fundamental Independent Baptist pastor friend of mine. And and her 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 neckline the 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 neckline of her dress was between her sternum and her belly button. It was that low, and and the the leg that she was showing was this high. And I mean, if I if I went home and put that picture, just her picture, on my wall of my garage, we'd call that porn. If I put that in my man cave, I'll put that picture of that girl dressed like that going to the prom with my son. I'm going to hang that up in my 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 man cave. We'd call that dirty, but then we let our kids, you know why? Because we've got this idea in our culture that romance is found in this dating fun relationship you have when you're a teenager or romance is found when you shack up together or romance is found when you're, you're, flirting with somebody behind your wife's back. And, and the Bible, you trying to address all this and say, man, that is absolutely ungodly. You want romance. You find that in a happy marriage. You want romance? You find that in a marriage that's growing and growing and improving in all the stages of your life. I've been married almost 30 years, and and, and really, I'm just telling you, romance is better now than it's ever been. Am I different? Sure, I'm getting older. I'm slowing down a little bit. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Man, our romance is incredible. And, and you know, I mentioned Bethley's dad last night calling Mama Dennis hot lips. He was in his uh, 70s when I last heard him say that. My hot lips and I, he went home to be God when he was 75 and, and, and they were, they were furring up one Sunday, he, one Sunday morning Valentine's at our church, he preached on marriage and had all the married couples stand up and repeat their wedding vows. Let's, let's renew our wedding vows. And a Sunday morning service, and uh, he said, to hot lips, I want you to go to the Oregon and play that song for us. Here comes the bride. And so my mother-in-law went to the Oregon. it's a Sunday morning service. Here comes the bride, big, fat, and white, or however the words go. And, uh, and so. Uh, he she's playing that. And dad said, now, men, repeat after me. You know, I take thee and and uh, say her name, men, say her name. To be my lawfully wedded wife. We just went through them again. And, and now, ladies, you repeat after me. Now he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are pro-marriage in this church. Brothers and sisters, he said, if you're married, you may kiss your bride. And it's all over our church on a Sunday morning. we <laughs> are like, mm, I'm here kissing it up. And then my dad said to my mother-in-law, all right, hot lips. Come over here and let's show them how it's done. Ah, nice. And so on the pulpit, they're like, mm, you know, what? I'm like, okay, that's my preacher right there. <laughs> and uh, dad is also the one that said in one of those sermons, he preached every February on marriage and family. And, and uh, he said one time, he said, you know, you that are married, he said, get this. He said, the key to a happy marriage is you make love once a day and twice on Sunday. And I was like, he just said that from the pulpit. And I wrote that down in my Bible, great quotes of men of God. And um, <laughs> he's just one of my favorite preachers in all the world, Pastor Dennis. He's in heaven now. And, uh, and I, I, I miss him. I, we need him around. We need him. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. are in Genesis 1 and 2. Can you see that God is pro-human sexuality? It's Proverbs 5, 18 and 19, he celebrates it. Song of Solomon. 1 Corinthians 7. Do you all know that one? I'm not going to read that one to you. I'm going to paraphrase it. 1 Corinthians 7. Paul is addressing the city of Corinth and believers who are now converted and totally misunderstanding marriage and human sexuality. In the city of Corinth, we're told culturally and historically that men did not marry for sexual reasons. They married in the city of Corinth for financial reasons, for political reasons, for social status. You didn't need a wife for sexuality because concubines were available. You didn't need a wife for sexual purposes because there were temples all over the city of Corinth dedicated to temple prostitution. It was an accepted practice. If you had sexual desires in the city of Corinth, you go to the temple, you go to a concubine, you go to a prostitute. That was absolutely acceptable and normal. And Paul comes to Corinth, and they have an incredible revival, and now there's a great church there. Be gentle in how you deal with the church of Corinth and their carnality, because the culture they lived in, well, everything they were learning was totally unique. And they had never heard this before in their life. They're just mirroring the culture around them. The, the book of First Corinthians is written to say, the culture around you is wrong. We've got to live differently because we are now people of the living God. We're believers. The first chapter starts with marriage and the bedroom. And he says, look, now you're married, aren't you? Okay, You you don't go to the temple to find satisfaction. God gave you a spouse, and human sexuality is to be enjoyed inside the boundaries of a covenant marriage. Every time a husband has a need, wives, God wants you to meet that need. The King James word says, don't defraud one the other. And he says, uh, men, your wife has needs too. And you're, you're put in her life by your heavenly father and her heavenly father. To meet her needs, treat your wife well. You know why? Because um, your God is also your father-in-law. You're married to God's daughter. I have two daughters. How many men have daughters? Y'all learn something I'm about to say here, don't you? I have two daughters. Don't you mistreat my daughter? Now yeah, you 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 could you you could mistreat my son and might get by with it, but you mistreat my daughter. I'm going to kill you in the name of Jesus. Are y'all with me on that? I mean, I'm going to make it spiritual because I am a preacher. I'm going to make it spiritual, but I'm going to kill you nonetheless. You all with me on that? It's my daughter. Now I'm being silly a little bit. I'm being a little silly here, but I'm going somewhere with it. One day it dawned on me, you know what? I'm married to God's daughter. That's my father. But in a sense, that's also my father-in-law. I sure want to treat his daughter well. Because as much as I care about my daughter, I bet he cares a lot about his too. So Paul comes along and says, look, uh, husbands, your wife has an age, you're to meet them. There's a new um, diagnosis of a problem today called intima- alicia, uh, intimate, intimacy anorexia. And it's a weird thing that, that I've only started noticing in recent years. And watch this now. It's about a lot of men and women who no longer desire each other in the bedroom. And there's was the longest time. It showed, it showed my naivety. I thought that was a problem that some women don't want anything in the bedroom. But I never go to a couple's retreat now with maybe one or two exceptions a year. But that we will counsel even guys or a wife whose husband does not want anything to do with her in the bedroom. Therapists call it intimacy anorexia. When there's no desire. I want to be careful how I deal with this because I hope it's the exception and not the norm. But here's what I think is happening in our culture. Our minds are so polluted by Hollywood thinking. Our minds are so polluted sometimes because of pornography. This is a new generation. These iPhones and iPads and smartphones have changed everything. Did you know that when the average man sits down now to look at porn on a screen... He sees more in one night than our forefathers saw in their lifetime. Even evolutionists, and you know I'm not one, but even evolutionists are now saying things like this, our brains haven't evolved far enough to handle the negative consequences of internet porn. Even the world is recognizing that we're in massive trouble in this area. But you combine together, whether it's porn or, or um, sometimes maybe it's physical, I suppose. A lot of guys in our culture don't understand that testosterone is what drives our, 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 our sexuality. And, and, and three things are key to, to right optimal testosterone, we're told. Right, right diet, diet, if I eat well, that helps. if I get proper rest and, and proper exercise. And I think as our culture is is not eating well, we're so busy we'll run through and you know buy McDonald's hamburgers and they are pretty good. Uh, I mean those fries, they'll change your life. <laughs> uh, they're pretty good, um, but but we're we're not eating well and and we're not resting well. We're staying up too late watching the news. Or scrolling social media, so we're going to bed too late, and getting up early and tired. We're tired all the time. I, I don't know all the, all the things that's contributing to it, but what the Bible wants you to know here is, husbands, your wife has a need, and you're responsible to meet that need. Is it true that you have a need and your wife's responsible? Yes. My wife's talking about that to your wife. But I'm saying to you, your wife has needs. You're going to be a master at meeting her needs. You're going to be aware of her needs. You're, you're, you're given by God to meet her needs. And Paul even says, uh, uh, don't, don't let this part of your life uh, be something you, you stay away from. And if you ever stay away from it, make it a very short period of time. Make it a very short period of time. Paul, Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. Uh, you know, I just quoted Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is honorable in all. Aren't you glad for that? Marriage is always a good thing. I told my kids, marriage is good. Aspire to be married, and if God wants you to be single, accept it and make, I mean, make a wonderful life as a single person. Serve the Lord with all your singleness. Honor God with all your singleness. But but, but most people get married, so I said to my kids, Aspire to, marriage is honorable and all, and the bed is undefiled. Our children knew about human sexuality. You know why? Because we told them. I didn't want them to learn that from some kid down the street or in a, in a, in a church or on a church bus. Or on the way to camp or at a, at a, at a, at a, at a you know, I, I, one of my kids learned that from me. So my wife talks to the girls. I talk to the boys. And, and, and you know, this is time they start early. Your, your kid, if you've got little ones, they'll start noticing there's differences in daddy and you. Like My, my, my son one day quite loudly said, uh, daddy, why do you have hair on your body and I don't? That was a bit of an awkward, you know, well, you could have brought that up in private. Just put it out here in public. But what are you doing? It's a chance for you to start talking about these things. It's called puberty, son, and as you get older, things will start changing in your body because you're a little boy, but you're going to become a man someday, and part of the reason you'll know you're becoming a man is you'll start getting hair on your legs, hair under your arms, and hair in other weird places. This is how God designed it. You'll know that. See, we're already starting those conversations because we're trying to help our kids to think right, and when my sons did hit puberty, and I knew it's time for a talk. If you've never had a talk with a son and he's a teenager, then work on that relationship because he needs a talk from a dad that has clear biblical and and right answers. If he goes to the internet, he's going to get wrong answers. If he goes to school, he's going to get wrong answers. If he, he, you know, if he looks it up, he's going to get wrong answers nine times out of 10, but you get the Bible, get the Bible open, give him good answers. And uh, my kids, I've got three sons and they were all different at this conversation. Uh, My one son didn't get it. He was like, you know, it's like, you know, and he just didn't really get, had to have three conversations with him before it finally registered. My other son, the one that's very sick right now, my other son, uh, the moment we had this conversation, his eyes sparkled. And that's when we knew we got to pray. We, we got to pray for this boy right here. And sure enough, uh, we were right. We did need to pray. He's my kid that I got to call. He was in Bible college when I got a call from the Dean of Men. My son, Evangelist Dave Young, my son. I got a call from the Dean of Men because my son kissed his girlfriend on campus <clears throat> under the security camera. <laughs> I called him. I said, son, what were you thinking? I Rowan, you know better than that. So It's against the rules. We are rule keepers because we, we want to honor God. You know better than this. It's against the rules. You broke the rules. That's against your family rules. We saved that. We saved that for a, a different time. You broke our rules, you broke the school's rules, and what kind of an idiot are you? You kissed her under the security camera? I mean, for crying out loud, at least you could have found a place where they weren't watching you. I mean, what kind of son have I raised here? I mean, I was like, what am I doing? And somebody harassed me about it, like, I can't believe that was your son who did that. And I was like, look, if the worst thing my son ever does is kiss a girl, probably he's gonna be okay. Now, now he needs to learn how to abide by rules and, and he needs to be careful. And, and so he was so wound up about it. I mean, after he fell in love with her and kissed her under the camera, I was like, all right, bud, here's what we're going to do. You're either going to break up or marry her, which is it? Because if you can't, if you can't keep your lips off of her, you're going to marry her. Somebody said, well, they had their, you know, shouldn't they finish college? Let them finish college the hard way. Let them work. And uh, so they got married and he's working his way through college. He's almost done. He's graduating in May. And uh, uh, so he's, he's almost done. It's been a little tough. Yeah, working and taking care of a house and a wife and, 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 and yeah, yeah, but let him now he can kiss her righteously. All right. Say, I do now have at it, buddy. Go ahead. And, but there's a wrong thing. Y'all follow this marriage is honorable in all is all I'm saying. Celebrate this with your kids. Tell your kids it's awesome to be married. Teach them that celebrate that. Don't let your family become one of those who are like, Oh my word about each other. Don't you do that? Celebrate being married, all right? So here's, here's what I want to talk to you about, and, and we're done, all right? Let's see. Um, just a few moments. We ought to develop ways to make this area first class. Is that a, is that a nice way to say it? You're, we're church. We're Christians. We're believers in Jesus, and marriage is honorable in all, and all, and, and it's part of the creative act of God, and, and we are to celebrate this part. We're to find satisfaction in this. We're to be ravished in this area. So we ought to make this area first class. Is that fair? Here's some things you could do. Uh, Remember the power of romance. Y'all believe in romance? Don't let your wife be the one who's romantic. You're the the head of the home. So work on your romance. Uh, Oscar, write that down in capital letters. I can tell you need it. Write that down in all caps. Romance, Romance. What's that look like? Every marriage is different. You're to understand your wife, right? We learned that last night. So what's important to your wife when it comes to romance? She like her feet rubbed? Then you ought to get real good at it. Uh, she like to go shopping? Then you probably ought to take her or at least give her 500 bucks and let her go by herself. She'll forgive you for not going. If you give her 500 bucks and let her go, she'll forgive you for not taking her. That'll preach, won't it? <laughs> How many of y'all praise God your wife's not in here to hear this? Um, well, what does your wife need? Does she like a, does she like a fancy meal? Maybe not may not be your thing, but if your wife, if, if romance to her is a fancy meal, then, then get yourself a shower and put on a collared shirt and tuck your shirt in, shine your shoes and take her to a fancy meal. See, my wife likes uh, the melting pot. You ever been to one of those fondue? I didn't know that was a word. When I first heard it, I thought it sounded gay fondue. And, uh, but my wife wanted to go to a fondue restaurant. It's like, okay, fine. I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. I shouldn't have said that. But, um. Uh, Fondue, if you've never been to one, you go in, you pay a fortune for a tiny little plate of food that you have to cook to eat. You cook it yourself. And you spear it and stick it in the oil. And and then you look at your wife while it cooks for two hours. And you look at your wife. My wife absolutely loves that. You know why? She loves good food. And it is good food. But more important is she likes the undivided attention of Dave Young. I have to spend two hours at that restaurant with her, cooking every little piece of meat. You know? And, 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 and now, is that, is, we don't go very often there. You know why? That's an expensive restaurant. But at least once a year, I'll take her to that restaurant. At least once a year, just once a year, because that's important to her. It's important. Your schedule's not mine. A lot of you men are, are, are working men in a different way than I work. But because of the way my schedule lays out, um, I'm home more. And, and my wife and I are together more. So we try to stop every day about 4 o'clock. At 4 o'clock, I make a cup of coffee and she makes a cup of tea. She loves hot tea. And if we're home, we sit on the patio. We have a really nice patio out back. We'll go out and sit on the patio take 20, 30 minutes to talk, sip hot drinks. She has my undivided attention. Why do I do that? Because I'm working on romance. And, and you don't have to be me. And I don't have to be you, but work on romance. Listen, don't let, don't let a video game come between you and romance. Don't let social media come between you and romance. Don't let the news, I mean, the news, the, you, you could probably do without it. If you had no idea who Nancy Pelosi was, you could probably die happy. Um, If you had never heard of Donald Trump, you could probably survive, right? But you can't survive and have a happy marriage without romance. Do you see this? So, man, we got to pick it up. We need to practice the power of romance. Uh, Here's another one. If we're going to make this area first class, um, by the way, a friend of mine, I thought this was funny. Two days after Valentine's this year, two days after Valentine's, my pastor friend sent me a text and it said, hey, quick. When is Valentine's Day? My wife's been mad at me for a few days, and I want to do something big for it. <laughs> I think he was joking. I hope he was joking, because um, if not, uh, that, that, that marriage is in trouble. Uh, here's the third, or the second thing. Remember the power of sensuality. Now, that is not sexuality, sensuality. Now, now, brothers, I want you to write that word down. Romance is important, and here's a, here's a parallel word to that, sensuality. This is the word that means having to do with the senses. If you read the Song of Solomon, you're going to find that that sensory is huge in the Song of Solomon. You're going to read about they smelled good. Their bedroom smelled good. The bed itself smelled good. You're going to read about a whole lot of, of visual. He saw her hair. He observed her breasts. Her Visual imagery. There was sensing, there was smell, there was sight. You hear about their talking, their words, their, what they're hearing, the touch. You find all over the Song of Solomon that the reason this area was first class in the Song of Solomon is it was romantic and sensual. God designed us this way. This is part of being a part of God's creation, sensual, the senses he gave you. So men, a shower for your wife. Uh, brush your teeth. Turn your bedroom into something beautiful. Don't put an 85-inch television in your bedroom. It's not a place to watch TV. That's a place to sleep and be romantic. Uh, uh, invest in candles or, or music. Um, what am I saying here? The, you Read the Song of Solomon and underline every word that has to do with sensual, and you'll underline almost the entire book. See, this is mastering this area. If your testosterone is struggling, uh, then, then if it's physical, get help. Man up and see a doctor and say, I'm struggling in this area. Is, is there something that I can change? It might just be you need to change your diet. It might mean you need to start jogging. It would, probably wouldn't hurt us to do it anyway. Uh, it might mean you need to start doing push-ups so you can look like me someday. <laughs> or not. Um, But but see, this is important. This isn't a first class area of your life. If you need counsel, get it. If you're addicted to porn, get help. Uh, Don't don't let anything destroy making this part of our marriages first class. Remember the power of sensuality. Are y'all with me on this? Remember the power of sensuality. It's an important word. All right. And And then obviously there's this word. Remember the power of this word. This is an important word. Remember this word. It's important, okay? And and, and and what I mean by that is make this a priority. Make this a priority. If there's an issue going on here in your marriage, it's time for a conversation. Sometimes we never talk about this area with our spouse. But if this area is as important as the Bible is trying to show us in the verses I read to you, if it's that important, we've got to remember it's powerful and we need to talk if we need to talk about it, talk about it. If, if, if you feel like this is an area where you're struggling um, or where you're not connecting with your wife on the level you want to, God gave you the gift of conversation, talk about it and come up with a plan. Amen. Okay? Uh, we got to just a few minutes here. make this area first class and then deal with hindrances. And this is the last thing I want to talk to you about. What's hindering your your bedroom from becoming first class? you got to deal with it. And, and here's a list. Sometimes here's, here's where we struggle. We fail to plan. How many of y'all know that life is busy? Is that, is it, isn't life busy? If your wife works and you work, then there's a double, double busyness. Uh, and and if, if you work and your wife stays home with, with uh, seven children, uh, then, then she does three full-time jobs while you're doing one. And life is crazy busy. So this is an area where you might need, this may be one of the big hindrances in your life. You have a plan. You just need to sit down and make a plan. At the very least, set aside one day a week, plan one time a week or three times a week or or embrace my father-in-law and run with him. I mean, twice on Sunday sounds biblical, doesn't it? I mean, I can't prove it, but it does sound spiritual. Um, Failure to plan. Here's a big one. Be careful with this word, brothers. This is a huge hindrance in our society. And I wouldn't want to beat you up about it, because if this is an average group of men, statistics would say that more than a few of us in this room are struggling in this area. And you don't even have to try today. You have a phone. You have a computer. Pornography in our generation is affordable because it's free. Anonymous. The screens have made it secret. Accessible. I read recently that in the USA alone, there's 467 million free pages of porn. Just 467 million. And and, and then here's the last thing that we don't realize in our culture, it's aggressive. Because the computers now are designed with algorithms where you can type in something very innocent. And you'll find a link to porn quite often. Your kids have YouTube? Let your kids log on to something innocently that has to do on YouTube, something okay to look at, nothing wrong. But probably out of one out of every five times they log on to YouTube, if it's unfiltered, there'll be a thumbnail to porn show up in the sidebar. It's aggressive. Brothers, church is a place where we can hurt out loud. This area will damage you. Don't carry a secret like this. Church is a place you can hurt out loud. You can get help for porn. It won't be easy. We, we end up in a Baptist like this idea to where you can go to the altar, pray and all's well. I still give invitations and I still believe in using altars. Many of my brothers don't today. I'm preaching for a lot of young men or even older men that have given up on invitations, but I, I'm not one of those. I think prayer is always in order. I believe we ought to always to pray. I can pray about a sermon. Uh, church is a place where Jesus said, even that my house shall be called the house of prayer. We shouldn't be getting rid of prayer. We should be adding more prayer to our services. Is that fair? But we have this idea that if I go to an altar and pray, all's well. But listen to this very carefully. We cannot talk ourselves out of the things we behave ourselves into, we have to behave ourselves out of those things. That's a process of time. God is able to do a miracle and set you free overnight but chances are if you've taken the last 10 years and behaved yourself into a porn addiction it's going to take at least a few years to behave yourself out of it to clean clean your mind to train your mind that when you're lonely or hungry or tired or 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 angry uh, those are it's connected to emotion and and most men when they're hungry angry lonely tired the word is halt hungry angry lonely tired h a l t Hunger, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Many men in our culture have found out, it, well, if I if I take some time to go private and look at porn, it releases dopamine into my mind, and into my body, and I feel better. Get a little, feel a little uplift. Of course, when it's all over, I start the spiral all over again. Emotionally now, I'm discouraged and frustrated and irritated, and now I'm struggling again emotionally, which leads me back to the porn again so that I will feel better. And I feel better for a while, but then... Then I feel guilty, so I'm emotionally struggling again. It's a cycle, it's a circle. And it, and it may be your circle is a month. Maybe your circle is a month. Or maybe maybe every two months, it's, but it's a circle. For many men in our culture, it's daily or weekly. I'm just saying to you, this will hurt your marriage. If you need help, get it. Is it hard to humble yourself and say, I, I, Pastor, I need help? I'm addicted to porn. Is that hard? Sure, it's hard. Is it worth it? Absolutely, in every way, it's worth it to get clean. And, and, and you know, I, 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 my sons, when they were younger, in order to protect them from porn, I gave them flip phones. Did they get made fun of? Yeah. They couldn't have a social media account until they were 17, and then only if it was deemed appropriate. Meaning, are you wise enough and smart enough to handle this? Are you willing to be accountable? Are you willing to, are you willing to let dad look at your phone at any given time? My sons are, two of my sons are married and and they still report in with me every Monday morning. We talk every Monday morning about how are you doing? Because we've worked on that relationship. My son, Jacob, is in Bible college. I own his phone. It's mine. And I have a right to pick it up at any time and look at it. His Instagram account, I'm logged into it. I know everything he gets texted on Instagram. I know what he's following on Instagram. And if, I, if he starts following something and I'm a little uneasy about it, I call him. Good. So, why are you following this? I mean, I just logged into your account, and that girl on that motorcycle is risque at best and ungodly at worst. worse. What, 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 what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And he and I have great conversations about it. Guys, we got to work at this. This will kill us. Don't let this hurt your marriage. Don't let this damage your marriage. Porn is massively problematic, and I just I don't want to shame you. I don't, want to, I don't want to guilt you. I want to say to you, though, you don't have to be defeated by this area because you can go to brothers. You can get help, and, and you, can, you can get to the Bible, and there, there are books available. If you're struggling and nobody else to talk to, if you can't talk to me personally, send me an email. I can give you books. I can give you videos. I can point you to YouTube accounts that are dedicated to helping men be free of porn, and, and it's available. You can win. And don't feel like you're alone. The devil wants you to think that nobody else is struggling. Apart from the grace of God, we're all failures. And we all struggle. We all battle, but we don't have to be defeated. We're all tempted, but we don't have to be defeated. Victory is available. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for it. That's true of you. We do have triumph in Christ. And believe that with all of your heart. So get help if you need it. Here's a couple more. Don't you agree this is a big hindrance in our culture? Busyness. Are you guys too busy? Busyness is a good thing because God designed us to work, but it's a bad thing if it's hurting things that are more important. Busyness is a good thing because God designed us to work, but it's a bad thing if it's hindering things that are more important. So if you're working long hours so you can pay for that huge house that you don't technically need. If you're working long hours so you can drive a cool hot car, uh, but, but you're having to work overtime to meet the payment on it and pay the insurance, something's wrong. You know? uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm amazed at how we think in our culture. I got two kids, so we need at least four bedrooms. We are proof. Our family is proof that you can live in a 40-foot fifth wheel with five children and love every minute of it. And was it easy? No, it wasn't easy. But was it fun? We made it fun. We had one bathroom. That's when we thank God for the, you know, that we're boys. The whole world is your bathroom, boys. <laughs> find a tree, find a tree. I heard a comedian say the other day, you know, you're a redneck when you take your dog for a walk and you both use the tree down the street. And it made me chuckle because sometimes we'd send the boys out. Just go, get out of here. And, and so, but don't let busyness, don't, don't let the world make you think you have to have two new cars and, and be in debt with four, you know, House payment and two car payments. You could drive an older car and be okay. Go to Walmart and buy you that new car smell spray. Shine that baby up. Put a coat of wax on it and uh, vacuum it to where it's clean. Armor all the dash. Spray it down with new car smell. You'll just feel great. Shine the wheels. Work on it. Drive an older car if you have to. Don't let busyness hurt your marriage. Simplify your life, brothers. Don't, don't run your kids all over the world playing every sport in hopes that someday they'll be your key to retirement. Uh, chances are your kid's not going to make it. And chances are if they did, they're going to waste their money. Most of those millionaires throw their money away and end up with nothing. Remember Michael Jackson? It wasn't sports, but he made millions and died in debt. What a weird way to live. Don't don't, don't run all over the world trying to get your boys and girls to be phenomenal athletes. If your kid is really that good, then stay home and hire them a private coach. Don't run 40 weeks a year and miss church and no time for family devotions and you and your marriage is struggling. Hire a coach. If your kid is that good, hire them a private coach. Bite the bullet. Hire them a private coach. Let them play a little bit and and, and teach them things that that are... Maybe not, not, not wrong, it's not wrong to play ball, but there are things more important. Right. If you teach your kid to be a great athlete and you get so busy doing it that they never learn how to cook, your daughter never learns how to cook, what's that going to do to her marriage? Your son never knows how to mow the yard or change a tire because we're so busy playing ball and, and working long hours and we just don't know how to do nothing. Forgive my grammar, but busyness will kill us. I got two others, time wasters and conflicts. Uh, social media is a blessing in many respects. I, I use it all the time for my ministry, but it can be a real time waster. So I had to set some schedules. And which this is when I look at my internet, my, my social media accounts. Uh, set some limits. You know, I look at it this amount of time. TV is good. Uh, my mom and dad went to a revival when I was in kindergarten years ago over in East Tennessee. My mom and dad went to a revival. I was in kindergarten and the evangelist preached. There was an evangelist. I was in kindergarten, but I remember this. He preached two things that night. This evangelist. I I mean, this has been, what is this, 40, 47 years ago, I heard an evangelist preach in Knoxville, Tennessee, I was in kindergarten, and he preached two things. Number one, you need to get saved. Number two, you need to throw away your TV. My dad got saved that night and threw away our TV. I hated that evangelist. Every time he came to town, he messed up our life in a different way. And it's the truth. We throw away our country music records because he came to town. We, we, we threw, it's amazing. I never got to go to a Tennessee volunteer game at Nayland Stadium because that evangelist said it was wrong. hated that man. Changed my life. But here's the deal. I grew up without a TV and found out that you can survive without one. It's not wrong to have a TV. I now have one. My RV has a pretty big one in it. Came with it. I don't have any access to, I don't have an antenna. But we'll, we have a video player. We'll, we'll hook it up sometimes and watch something on video or whatever, or vid angel. But I found out I can survive without TV and I have more time. And I don't know, what is your time waster? Uh, you know, golf's not wrong. But if four hours of golf is pre- preventing you from having a happy marriage, then your marriage ought to be more important than your golf. You know, of course, I mean, if you go out on the golf course to make, you know, $10 million, go play golf, we'll forgive you. Tithe. <laughs> Give an offering to your favorite evangelist. I mean, I don't know what you had to do there, uh, but time wasters. What, what am I saying? This is an important area of our life, isn't it? And the, the the world is just trying to destroy this, and so many marriages are struggling in this area. And we're living in a culture that ridicules marriage and and, and Christianity. But God wants us to win, and men, you can. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Absolutely. To be married, to be married to the only person you've ever had sexual relations with and to grow old together is God's plan. Now, I'm not trying to shame you because some of you, you've got a messed up background. But you know what? You can't change that background, but you can live a pure life where you are right now. And you should, right? Right. You guys have been a good audience, and there's, there's tons more we could say about this topic. You know that. Uh, one of the great things I've done with Bethlehem in the years we've been married, every year we read together three books. We read a book together on marriage. I read it. She reads it. We go on a date and talk about it. We read a book every year on raising children because we're, we're doing that. She reads it. I read it. We talk about it. And we've tried every year to read a book on the bedroom. There aren't too many you can read sacredly. So some we've read two or three times. Ed Wheat has a book called Intended for Pleasure. Uh, Dr. Lehman has a book called Sheet Music. I just finished, Beth and I just finished Gary Thomas's book, Married Sex. These are Christian books. With a Christian worldview. Uh, Dr. Tim LaHaye has the book, The Act of Marriage. He has a second book called The Act of Marriage After 40. There are books available. And brothers, read them. Be sacred. But read, read books on marriage, read books on raising children. Read books on the bedroom. And master these areas for the cause of Christ. It's important. God's on your side. If we can help you, get it. Pray about it, converse about it, and let's see God work.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into the Southland Podcast. It is our prayer that you would know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you have never experienced salvation through Christ alone, would you please reach out to us? You can contact us through our website at www.southlandcamp.org or call our camp office at 318-894-9154. See you next time on the Southland Podcast.